0: Um, Yeah. And that's... That's... Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) You go. Hi, I'm Ripke Silver. And I'm Alex Fletcher. And this is Normal From Women.
1: The podcast where we embrace the complexities, nuances, and joys of from womanhood.
0: So Alex, what's your favorite part of this
1: episode? My favorite part is that we are actually talking about toxic positivity which is a term that I read so much about the last year and a half or so and when we discussed wait let's do an episode on this I wasn't sure like can we create an entire episode you bet we have a full jam back episode on the topic and we can't wait to bring it to you Hey everyone, we're so thrilled to be back with another episode of Normal From Woman. Let's jump right in. Today's episode is all about toxic positivity. So about a month ago, Risky tweeted this out. Quote, listening back to episode 16, and by the way, that was back to normal, of Normal From Women, and contemplating how over the course of the many interviews we've done, I see how deeply I have internalized unrealistic expectations and also toxic positivity. IDK, if I'm even using that term correctly, but I think so.
0: Oh, yeah. I totally remember that tweet. I noticed in a few interviews and a few times in our stories that I had emphasized things like, how do you stay positive? And how do you stay, you know, how do you make sure that you're staying okay? And some of our guests and listeners like had gently pushed back on that. Like, it's okay not to be okay. I'm not always positive. And it, it really like gave me pause. I, it stuck with me. Like, what's the dissonance here? you know, and like, was my focus on being okay and being positive, like not entirely kosher. Like these are people I respected and they were gently pushing back on this concept. So I wanted to acknowledge that this is something that I was noticing in myself.
1: Yeah, that was a real aha moment for me as well. And first off, you know, as always, I'm impressed with your vulnerability here, especially. And I got so excited when I saw that word toxic positivity in your tweet. So I was like, oh my gosh, we have to do an episode about this. I think it's just such a fascinating concept
0: yeah totally. And this is by the way, all you listeners. like this is kind of how we come up with episode ideas. Like we'll have these random brainstorms or something we'll pique our interest, and then we'll whatsapp each other with ideas and many, many, many voice notes, and then we'll always say, put it on the spreadsheet, put it on the spreadsheet of topics. That's where we keep our running list of our episode ideas. Um and we meet about once a month or so to make a plan of what we're co- of when we're covering which topic in an episode.
1: right. I just wish I had article ideas as often as I have podcast episode. <laughs>
0: Yes, <laughs> Yes, the struggle is real. <laughs> anyway, so like the past few weeks we've been sharing articles with each other and reading up and talking with positivity and like low-key mentioning it to you know friends. Um and then the other day, Rachel Solomon, who was our Normal from Woman in episode 16 actually, WhatsApped me, a Wall Street journal piece on the topic. The same day that our friend Karen Toso posted the piece on Facebook, and we were like, hey, that's our topic. Us trendsetters here on Normal from Woman. And a couple of days ago, I saw a post on Instagram by Elisheva List that Amudin was covering the topic with her, as well as two other excellent therapists, social workers, Rachel Tuchman and Rachel Herzman. I am sorry if I'm not saying your names right. It's hard with Rachel. You never know if it's Rachel, Rachel. <laughs> Rachel. Anyway, <laughs> um, and the concept was referenced not by name, but by description in Family First two weeks ago in Sarah Hanna Radcliffe's column. And this past week, wow. in Nancy Gruen's letter. So it's oh definitely, my gosh. I know. It's definitely in the air.
1: Okay, so today, Riffy and I are going to be sharing with you our thoughts about toxic positivity. And you may be asking, well, what is toxic positivity? And is it even relevant at all to my life? And we think it is. We asked for a few normal firm women if they'd had any experience with toxic positivity. And this is what they said.
2: Um, so, my experience with toxic positivity was during my infertility slash fertility journey. Um, I used to get a lot of close family lovers telling me things like, oh, stop being so negative, be more positive, I'm,
3: I'm sure it'll work out, it'll we'll be fine in the end. And um, it just made me feel like my feelings are invalid and like my worries were invalid. Um,
4: and
2: also, how could they guarantee to me that it would work? You just don't know. And then people used to tell me things like, oh, if you were just relaxed, it would all work. Like, you're just so stressed, just, just, just relax. And that used to make me feel like as if it's my fault, like I'm having a part to play and it's my fault that this is happening to me. So yeah,
5: falsificity is always so good. Hi, I know that you've been looking for stories about toxic positivity and the story that I want to tell you is not necessarily like the classic example of that, but I think that it might fit the bill. Uh, I was in cancer treatment a couple of years ago, and there was somebody in my life who loved me very much and was very worried about me, and they would text me and call me daily while I was undergoing treatment to ask me, how are you feeling today? I hope you're feeling better than yesterday. I hope today was a better day than the last one. I hope things are going well. I hope that everything's better now than it was and just over and over. and. I know that the person was trying to be supportive and trying to be optimistic, but it really backfired. And it was very hurtful and very upsetting to have to deal with that person's need for positive news and for good news and good updates when I was really suffering. Um, And very often, each day was worse than the last. So it made me... Feel even worse knowing that I would then have to respond to this person by telling them, actually, no, today was a horrible day and I'm in terrible pain or I'm really suffering. So uh, it got to the point where I actually had to just block that person's messages because I couldn't handle seeing them anymore. So I definitely learned from that how important it is to be able to just let people feel what they're feeling and not insist that they, um, you know, that they have something upbeat and optimistic and pleasant to share when very often that's just not how life goes.
4: So I don't think I would have really understood the concept of like toxic positivity. Like, you know, there's a really beautiful thought and, you know, we think good, things will be good, you know, and it's amazing, but I didn't ever understand that there could be a toxic side of it until I had my daughter with Down syndrome. And what I had found was is that there was two extreme views. There was either the nebach, our poor family, this poor child, you know, this is so terrible, or there is the other side, which I call the, you know, again, the toxic positivity side, which is, well, Hashem only gives these special nishamas to the most special parents, and look at you. And like, number one, like, I'm a mediocre parent. Number two, like, what? Like, Like, that doesn't even make sense. There are many people who have children with different types of disabilities who struggle immensely or don't even, you know, do very well raising that child. So I think what's hard about it is that the, it's extreme. We either have one extreme or the other and and I just want the middle. I just want yet yeah, you know yeah, there is some amazing positive things about raising a child with down syndrome. She is phenomenal. And yeah, there is something different about her Nishama and that Nishama is Definitely at a different level than the rest of us here on this earth. But treating her like, you know, a Sadiq does not benefit her, does not benefit us as a family, and and it and it just doesn't help. It doesn't help her grow and develop into the girl that she's supposed to be. I sometimes will see, like in the Down syndrome community, not necessarily in the Jewish community, but they will dress up their children as angels and take pictures and this type of thing, because they really use this as a form of coping. Like, this is the way I'm going to cope with my child having a difference. And it it's hard to see. It's very hard to see. And I think, like, at the end of the day, the best thing is, is that our children are kids that are, that are different and the concept of celebrating difference versus trying to sadikize, guys, spring, I'm making up words here, sadiking her, <laughs> I guess, but it's definitely a hard, um, balance that is often found within our community.
0: So, yes you can see that toxic positivity is clearly a thing. And later in today's episode, you'll be hearing from Yochavet Davidovits who joins us in our discussion. Yochavet is a therapist and a Rebetzin. Her husband is the Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva of Cleveland here. And um, we're talking with her about how and if the concept jives with Torah Hashkaffah. And we cannot wait to share her insights with you.
1: At the end of today's episode, we hope you'll have gained a greater awareness of the difference between positivity and forced positivity. And where optimism, hope, and amuna fits in. This is so relevant. First, when we're faced with difficult feelings of others. And when we're faced with managing our own difficult feelings in response to other people's discomforting emotions.
0: Or even just in response to something that we're going through ourselves. hmm Yeah. Okay, so let's go. Disclaimer, of course. In case you haven't figured this out already, we are not mental health professionals. Today, we're presenting our thoughts and feelings about a trending topic in mental health. So if anything we say is triggering or causes you to explore the topic deeper, we encourage you to seek out a mental health professional for guidance.
1: Yes, thanks for that, Rifki. Okay, so to start, we have to define toxic positivity. Um, And actually, in defining that, and before we give you that textbook definition, I think it's important to understand why it's such a hot topic now. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've all heard... Um, the montage of the, you know, the the normal for a woman sharing their examples. So even if you're not familiar with this topic, I think you already have an understanding. But basically, it's been around, but it really started trending during the pandemic. And during that initial, those initial few weeks and few months where we were all in lockdown. Um, And essentially the concept, well, what we were seeing during the pandemic, it's like, especially if you're on social media, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, we're all locked down. Well, live your best life and bake sourdough bread and, Mm -hmm. you know, pick up the the hobbies that you've always wanted to pick up and write that novel. And, you know, we're all sitting and watching these messages from behind our screens and thinking, oh my gosh, like, do they have any idea what's going on in my life? (laughs) And, you know, it felt very irrelevant. Um, Definitely disconnect. And and very invalidating when you saw those kinds of messages where it's like, this, this this doesn't apply to me. And maybe I'm really having a hard time here because this ain't easy. And I'm homeschooling five kids, baby, six, six month old through a teenager. And so so basically this is where it sort of started coming up as sort of messages about how to stay upbeat and how to accomplish during this difficult time that actually didn't make us feel upbeat. And I'll just give you one example, <laughs> even though I gave a few, but just something that re- this really hit home is there was a video, I don't know, you if you saw it. Um, there was like a little video going in trying to help us put our quote unquote suffering in perspective of, um, oh. I don't think I saw this. Okay. This is when I was like, this is toxic positivity. <laughs> um, and essentially it was trying to put our challenge into perspective. And it was, um, sort of tr- talking about the generation that grew up in between the wars. So if you take the perspective of someone who lived during both worlds wars, okay. And the great depression and the suffering that they experienced and that this little video just showed these like pictures of smiling people, vintage shots in black right. and white, and literally had the audacity to say, and look, they, they manage, right. they, they went through it, it was and very I'm like, very, okay, triviali- very trivializing
0: for what tri- we were going well, through. Well, it's also
1: complete historical revisionism. Like, okay. Cause you chose some <laughs> stock footage of some smiling people that lives at 1820. And that means that they're, you know, they, they, they happily went through suffering. I mean, who knows even if that's true, but anyway, the point of the video is to be like, put this pandemic in perspective. And what that does is basically says you're struggling waking up in the morning, but wait, you have, you have videos to show your kids. You have running water. You have food. You have everything at your disposal. And you are still having a hard time. You shouldn't be having a hard time because look how these people went through their pain and travails. So what it intrinsically does is invalidates the emotional experience of people who may be having a hard time, even if comparably it shouldn't make sense. And they feel that they are wrong for having those emotional experiences. Right. It's
0: like the whole idea of like first world problems. Yes. It's first world problems, but it's, it's, it's still a problem. It's still a stress. Mm -hmm. Yes. This is like, this is our generational peckle, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I always say like, you know, listen, I'm happy that we have tuition and not Cossacks and pogroms. Uh, Of course, (laughs) of course. That doesn't mean that tuition still isn't stressful and really, really difficult for so many people. Do you know what I mean? It's like, doesn't Absolutely. mean it's not hard. It's just, it's a, it's a different yeah. kind of hard, you know? So,
1: and, and I, yeah. And I, I just want to add, that doesn't mean that the message of like, put things in perspective can never be useful. Um, I just think that, I think it needs to come in a very specific time, place from a very specific person in a relationship, but yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah, yeah. it's a catch-all to like help people make people feel better because you have to compare your experiences to those of others that suffered more than you.
0: Yes and I think that, that I think that is absolutely like the biggest point Alex said. I feel like we'll bring out in this episode is that like it's not like those tools or those concepts are inherently bad or that they should never be used or to put things in perspective or to look at things from a from the global thing and it's like zooming out from the tsar that you're in right there. But it is there is a time and a place and there is a delivery, there's a way to do it, and there's very much a way not to do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I feel like it's interesting because like you were talking about how like during the pandemic, that's when it kind of, I guess, exploded onto the world scene. I had heard about this concept a while back, not with this term toxic positivity, but just like the concept of like when someone was going through like a hard time in their life and someone would say like, well, Gamzula Tova, don't worry, it's all for the good. <laughs> and you're mm-hmm. like, sure, but not helpful right now. And just the right. idea of really knowing when to say it. And I think that this also, I think the self-care thing was also very tied into the pandemic. Maybe I'm not sure. I feel like that term was trending I like pandemic time is very like murky for me. Mm-hmm. So I can never remember like what trend came when really in this whole past two years. But I remember when self-care was also like really big and everyone was like self-care, self-care. I remember there was that, there was that short story in a calligraphy supplement from Mishpacha about self-care. That was like self-care gone wrong. Just like idea of like when, so, when, you know, we as women, as normal for women are juggling so many balls. And so many of us are really overwhelmed with just like the blessings in our life. Like, yes, we know they're blessings, but we're so stressed out and we're not managing some of us. And then someone would be like, but have you tried self-care? <laughs> maybe if you just try self-care then all, then everything is going to be better. And you're like, show me where in my schedule, I'm going to put it in. And like, you can know, I mean, we did a whole episode on it. Like we, yeah. you can know something could help you, but when you're in that, place of overwhelm where you're in that place where you feel like you're drowning. Like you're like a manicure is not going to solve my problem right now. It's just mm-hmm. not going for a walk around the block. It's like not even a bandaid big enough for my problem. So again, the, the I feel like the, the ichor here is these concepts that do have value and do have a place and can be tremendously helpful can also be very toxic when used at the wrong time in the wrong place, and can, when it can be used, you know, on ourselves, or when, like, you know, either it's something that we struggle with internally, or something we struggle with externally. Either people saying it to people, or maybe we're the ones saying it to people because we're like, ah, oh, it's uncomfortable. Let's just make it better. Just look at the bright side. Ah, mm-hmm. a lot of different ways this can play out. So let's let's talk mm-hmm. about like, the definition as we as we've just schmoozed all about it. Let's like officially define it, and then we can talk. Some mm-hmm. Okay, great. So, essentially. This idea of
1: toxic positivity, it's really a belief that a person should put a positive spin on all experiences, even tragic and painful ones. So no matter how difficult a situation is, one should always make sure that they're maintaining a positive mindset. It's sort of like forced positivity. Now, in your mind, you might be saying, well, what's so bad about that? So the issue is, is that toxic positivity... in its essence, rejects difficult emotions in favor of this cheerful and often not authentic, often falsely positive facade. So toxic positivity is taking positive thinking to this, in a sense, overgeneralized extreme. And the attitude doesn't just stress the importance of optimism, it denies and minimizes any trace of human emotions that aren't strictly happy or positive. So negative emotions are then seen as inherently bad and positivity and happiness in turn are pushed, but those authentic human emotional experiences are denied, minimized and invalidated. And that's not healthy.
0: Right. And this is what, one of the things that Sarah Hannah Radcliffe had mentioned in her piece in Mishpacha was that like, sure, you can deny those feelings and they're going to just pop right back up somewhere else, like a game of whack-a-mole. You know, it's like, they're not, they're not going anywhere and they have to be, they have to be um, addressed, you know. They have to be addressed, right? Yeah, you can't gum yeah, through the think... your way out of it.
1: <laughs> exactly. We may think that's a healthier way, gum through let's stay positive, and that's going to like put the band-aid and heal. But in in a sense, by denying real emotions and not acknowledging them and grappling with them, that's going to cause more harm.
0: Right. And this is something that bossy had said. Bossi Gruen. Yeah, yeah bossy Gruin. So she was talking about, you know. Think good and it will be good. You need to focus on positivity. Have batachon. This is something that a friend was saying to her when she was going through a very hard time with something. Have batachon. Hashem has taken care of you until now. Believe in him. And she said, you know, my friend was making valid points, you know, and she herself hadn't had the easiest life. yet, had, had rock solid muna, something I'd always admired. But here's the thing. You can't talk yourself into betachon. You can try. You can say the words. You can sing the songs. You can proclaim your beliefs to the world. And if that works, great. But if you're still internally panicked, if you can't sleep well at night, <laughs> then that's not batachon, it's denial. Yeah. And batachon is a process. You're supposed to work on it all the time. So the like, gamsa and so that's the end of her. I just quoted her that. That was not my words. That was Basi Bruin's words. And like, I feel like that's the thing. Like, batachon and gamsa can be, like, the ultimate goal. And that can be something that we're working towards to really internalize those concepts. But, like, it's not something that you can just jump to without doing a lot of internal work on it. And when you're in a moment of crisis, like that is often not the time to do the work. That's the time to feel the feelings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really important because it's feeling the feelings is actually therapeutic. So yeah. we think with toxic positivity that no, the solution to the problems is positive thinking, but what that, that's not the solution that can be the solution. Plus expressing negative emotions, because there's nothing wrong with expressing negative emotions in a healthy way. That actually is what's helpful, is to let it out in a safe place with the right person, express it and feel it, and then process it at the right time and the right moment and see if one could see something in perspective or see something positive. But to deny the the feelings and deny the negativity because for one for whatever reason people think oh well you're, then you're very negative or oh you're you know you're weak that's where it becomes mm-hmm. pr- problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I also saw something interesting is sort of differentiating between positive thinking and toxic positivity, is. Um, Obviously, there's research around this, that positive thinking, which was a movement very much in the 80s and 90s, that generally focuses on the benefits of having an optimistic outlook when experiencing a problem. But in contrast, toxic positivity, it demands positivity no matter what your challenges are, no matter how difficult things are, are therefore silencing those emotions, and it also deters them from sinking social support because mm. they feel guilty or inadequate because they are feeling negative feelings. So, wow. um, yeah, well, because it's super, like, wait, i meant powerful. to be positive. i meant right. to be positive. Or can you imagine someone's in, um, a very, or in, you know, a very unhealthy relationship and may say, oh, but I'm meant to see the bright side and I'm meant to Gamzila Tova, and this is how Hashem wants it to be, blah, 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 blah. And they, they refrain from seeking the psychological and emotional and social
0: support. To handle this because they've told themselves that
1: oh but I have to stay positive and or other or other
0: people have told them sometimes other like yes that's, and that's something that I think we do need to address is like when like if a person makes himself vulnerable enough and says like I'm having a really hard time with this I'm really not managing and then someone says well look on the bright side it's not as bad as you say as, as you right. Say just pull yourself up and you can pull yourself do, together. Put on pull a yourself smile together. And, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Pull, like, just look at the good, you know? And, um, I remember once, Oh, it's interesting because I, before my 40th birthday, I had done something on Instagram where like for 40, I posted like an inspirational quote, like for 40 days before my 40th birthday. And, um, one of the things that I posted was, you know, think good and it will be good. Like it, it's a famous saying. It's, um, yeah, yeah, one of the Lubavitcher said it. One of my friends who struggles with anxiety had such, you know, this this kind of stuff is like really invalidating for someone who struggles. Wow. And I was like, you know, it's it's a really, really good point. And this is one of the pitfalls of social media. Like you were saying, like yeah. during the pandemic, it's like all this stuff was out. like sometimes we have sometimes we just have to close the screen and just say like this is not helping me. And that, by the way, is a strategy
1: that I've seen um, offered here is with toxic positivity, that social media really can be a stewing ground for this and stay off of social media. If you find that you are being triggered by things.
0: Exactly. And so, and that to me is like a quote unquote, easy fix, even though I know we all know that it's not so simple to disengage from social media, but I think that one of the more pervasive problems is when it's people who are in our lives are saying these things to us who are saying like this, look on the bright side, who are, you know, being invalidating, like in the Wall Street Journal article, like it was this father who was telling his daughter who was having a hard time, I think with her job, well, at least you have a job. And like, you know, <laughs> this is fine. And that's you know, classic. And, right. And he was like, all proud of himself. He said this in the article, he was all proud of himself. He's like, oh, I'm Superman. And his wife was like, that was not good. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And we may not even realize we may think that we're being encouraging. And this is where it's tricky, because sometimes that is what a person needs to hear. And sometimes it's really not because sometimes right. it can be helpful in private conversations. You have to, like like you said earlier, it has to be the right time and the right person and the right relationship. And you have to know who you're talking to and have a close enough relationship with them to be able to gauge, do you want to hear something that might be encouraging or not? Like ask, do you want me to just listen and validate? Is that what you need right, right now? Or is this something that, do you want me to give you some chizuk? That is a very an important step that we could take in, in our relationships to avoid doing this inadvertently as, as a way of us, like, you know, wanting to help our friends and wanting to support them. Um, I know I'm a very, I'm a, this is, this is like my type of thing that I would have a tendency to do with my friends. And so for me, like, it's helpful to stop in and I don't always do this. I'm talking to myself right now, but this is what I should start doing more is to say like, do you want, do you want me to listen? Do you want chizok? Like, tell me what you are in the emotional state to do. And I feel like that's an easy way for us to prevent doing it to other people. I think
1: that's a great and helpful strategy, um, to ask you know, what is it that you need right now? But I I do just want to sit back and say just as humans, I think what we all intrinsically need is, is to be heard. Um, and so if we skip that step of acknowledging the difficult emotions and reflecting the difficult emotions and just go to, oh, you're so lucky you have a job. That's the key. Yeah. You know, so like, like she's clearly struggling. The father can be like, well, that sounds really hard. Oh, I totally I totally see how this is difficult for you. Right. And then if they have that relationship where he feels like then he could give her some words of support, offer that support, but they need the emotional support first.
0: Right, and that's what he did. In the article, he said he actually called back and said, I'm sorry, that sounds really hard. And then his daughter was like, that felt so validating. And that's what they yeah. need And then they can move forward together in like a in the relationship. And I, I'm just I'm thinking about how this happens with parenting all the time, right? Yes. Like oh, think oh, about yes,
1: the kid <laughs> who is like having their moment, experiencing their negative feelings, and we just want to swoop it. And, and I, we're gonna get next into why we engage in toxic positivity, how it's why it's a coping mechanism of sorts for us. But before let's go through this example of you don't want your kid whining about XYZ, and you don't want to deal with it, and it's annoying, and you just want to shut it down because you don't want to deal with those. I'm speaking for myself. You don't want to deal with those anxiety-provoking feelings or the nuisance. It's relatable. Right. So what do we do? And I think if we use this example to see how we do this on all, you know, and larger scales as well. But with our kids, well, oh, it's fine. You don't mind. It's okay. You know, and, and okay. we minimize their emotional experience. Right. And, how does that, and how does that it? usually Because we want to fix
0: it. Right. And how does it usually play out for us as parents? Does oh. it usually make it better no. or worse? <laughs> it makes it worse.
1: Right. It makes it absolutely worse. So, exactly. you know, this is a great example. And, and by the way, and I think it's, it's, I think it has huge ramifications because I think that we don't mean to, but we're essentially saying my comfort is more important than your emotional discomfort. Oh, whoa. Right? Wow,
0: that is Muslim. Because right
1: I, I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. I don't
0: want to deal with it. Right. I know it from experience. No, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've seen this play out, and like I've also seen this play out in like my experience as a parent. When my kid is in distress, it is such a difficult feeling, so difficult to be with your kid in in distress, you know, so it's 100% the avoidance and coping mechanism. Yeah. So when we label and talk about emotions, like then it reduces the strength of certain, like, this is, this is what we discovered in our, in our official research here, but like labeling and talking about emotions reduces the strength of certain brain pathways associated with those emotions. So talking about the feelings and like giving them a name can make them feel less overwhelming. So that helps us as parents and that helps us as kids like
4: Mm -hmm. something that
0: I started doing was like when I started getting like really overwhelmed by you know the bedtime routine or homework routine or whatever you know stressful high stress time I would say out loud wow I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now and even Mm -hmm. just like that that is enough to kind of diffuse the overwhelm and and it's the same you know with you when you have a toddler oh are you are you feeling sad yeah I'm feeling sad and and then it just obviously. And then all the ages in between, in between toddler and 41 <laughs> for sure. and beyond it's helpful for everyone. Yeah. And we have to do it to ourselves too. We have to let
1: ourselves sit with those feelings and acknowledge them and live yeah. with them Yeah, uh, because we also avoid uh, and use coping mechanisms to avoid our difficult emotions as, as well. well. Right. Yes. Um. Yeah. Yeah. The lifelong and, process. And stuff. Yeah. Something I saw just fascinating about this is when we do engage in these avoidance mechanisms, we're actually denying ourselves the experience of growing from, mm. um, yeah, growing Whoa. and gaining insight and deeper insight into those difficult experiences because we just squash that. We just squash that opportunity. Right. So both for ourselves, for our children, for people we're interacting with, it's, it's actually, as I said from the beginning, it's very, very healthy to acknowledge and name, like you said, and to deal with those those experiences and those feelings, because that's how we grow instead of trying to whitewash and band-aid things.
0: Okay. So this is all, this is all like such a interesting and fascinating conversation. And I really enjoyed doing research on this. And I feel like sometimes when these pop psychology terms come out, um, self-care, toxic positivity, like I have an initial reaction where I'm like, yeah, this makes so much sense. And then I started to think about it more and more and more deeply. I'm like, but wait, like positivity, hakar Satov, like the belief that everything is inherently good are very fundamental Jewish concepts. So wait, how does it, like how do I make sure that these psychological concepts are in line with like the hashkaffa? You you know what I mean? Like how how do I make sure that everything is really working well together, that we can benefit from both this concept of toxic positivity while still maintaining a healthy connection to these fundamental Jewish concepts? And that's why I voice noted you, Alex, about maybe we should get, a more expert opinion besides just our wonderful conversation, we should maybe bring someone else in too.
1: Yeah. I mean, because I think as from women and from people, we do need to not look at everything with a dose of skepticism, but to be thinking always like, does this jive with, you know, our perspectives and Torah Hashkafa um, as Jewish people, you know, and I think that's really important, that's really healthy, is, is to be considering that always when we're facing with, you know, information and knowledge from the secular world. Okay, so now we bring you our conversation with Yochavid Vidowitz all about the Torah perspective on toxic positivity.
0: Okay, welcome Yochaved to the podcast. We are very happy to have you today. I was just mentioning how um, I appreciate hearing your insights and words on the wake up words for the heritage foundation. And I appreciate your insight and contributions and perspective, and also your fantastic podcast which reason. is called, my, I know my, I'm sorry, my brain just completely, you know, like when you meet someone, then all of a sudden, like you can't remember their name. I'm having that experience. It's called a, deep <laughs> a, deep,
2: conversation. a deeper
0: conversation,
2: a deeper conversation, right? Yeah. Thank okay, you so much for having me. And I have to say, I love your podcast. And I love the fact that you like live up to the name of your podcast. You actually have normal from women, on the podcast talking and it's just so relatable. I love it. So congratulations to both of you.
1: I thought you were saying that we live up to it because we are normal from women.
2: (laughs) Yes. But also it's not just about you two, like you have all like these from women and these perspectives. So people really feel like they're participating in the podcast and they can relate to it.
0: Yes. Thank you. That's a goal. Mm -hmm. Right. Um,
2: So as you you. know, we,
0: we are talking about toxic toxic positivity in today's episode (laughs) And we've asked you to join us in this conversation because we'd love to hear your perspective as a therapist and a Rebetzin, so specifically about your thoughts on toxic positivity, particularly how it can be viewed from a Torah dig perspective.
1: Okay, yeah. well, I, I'd like to hear from you, first off, from a Hushkaavik perspective. Um, what about toxic positivity jives with Torah values? And what's valuable about this concept that can we really appreciate
2: and apply to our lives? Right. So I think as far as Tor values, I mean, we know like from everywhere in our, the way we have Yantif, the way we structure our year, that there are certain times where we're supposed to be sad, right? Like you're not supposed to be happy in certain situations. Pirkei Avos says that you shouldn't try to, I think it's in, in Parak Dalit, uh, Mishnah Havkimel, it says don't appease your... Try not to appease your friend when he's angry. Don't comfort somebody when his dad is in front of him. Like there's certain times where it is appropriate to be sad. And that emotion is not dysfunctional at all of anything. Like sometimes you say, you know, if you were happy right now, that would be the problem, right? This is not, it's not appropriate to be happy at a funeral, let's say. On And there are times when we actively try to engage in those emotions, we do things physically, we get involved in reading certain things just for the sake of being sad about something because it is appropriate in that moment to feel that. And I think part of what toxic positivity does that's so damaging, you know, and and you could even flip this around to the other way, but let's just talk about toxic positivity for a second, is that what you're really doing is you're disregarding a person's um, emotional state. And so that's why it's so it's so bad. So I think certainly from a Torah perspective, we see that first of all, we can manipulate our emotions and we can control them because obviously you're supposed to be sad at certain times and you're also supposed to be happy at certain times, right? The Vilna Gaon says the hardest mitzvah is to be happy for all eight days of Sukkot, mm-hmm. right? So we have yeah. to actively be happy on Shabbos, right? So that's you know something that's part and parcel of just being a Torah observant Jew that we recognize that there's just you know a time for everything. There's a time for everything under the sun, right? And it's not just all about being happy. I think we do have a culture of happiness in, you know, that we are living in that's so misguided in so many ways. Like happiness is the goal. And what we really need to think about is that happiness is just really a byproduct.
0: And if that makes hmm. sense to you. Oh, well, that's can you, what, you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? That's such a profound concept of happiness as a byproduct.
2: Right. Well, I mean, first of all, if you think of you could obviously step back and think about a person's overall happiness in their lives as opposed to like certain events, right? So you know, maybe you want to distinguish about a person's satisfaction, but I think we, you know, we have this goal of being happy in and of itself. If you ask a lot of parents, they'll say, All I want is for my kids to be happy. But that's not really true, right? You don't want your kids to be happy. What you want is for them to have meaningful, purposeful lives and to live up to their potential. And if we're doing that, let's say for ourselves, or if our kids are doing that, even if things happen that are sad, we're still like overall happy people and we're not going to be anxious or depressed, even though you know, at certain events or at certain times in our life, or when we go through difficult things, we might have extreme feelings, even debilitating feelings of sadness at certain points, but the happiness, the sort of overall life satisfaction, maybe that's a better word than happiness is a byproduct of living a meaningful and purposeful life and being able to, you know, see the world through the proper lens rather than just like pursuing happiness. When people engage in to- toxic positivity, I guess, it's because what they're trying to shoot for is really the symptom. It's being happy, so they gloss over, you know, the reality of whatever what's going on. Think positive, you know, happiness is a choice, right? You can you can change your you know mindset, even though that may be true that happiness is a choice. Certainly, nobody wants to hear it in the moment when they're <laughs> upset.
0: So yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So this, this is fantastic, Yocheved. Thank you. Is there? Is there anything about the concept of toxic positivity that contradicts towards teachings? Like how do we view Jewish concepts like Gamzula Tova and everything happens for best? I feel like you essentially touched on this, but maybe a little bit deeper. I was just listening to a sheer um, by Rabbi Rieti that where he was talking about people in like horrible circumstances, like horrible circumstances who were seeing the good. And he held that up as like, this is what you should do. Like, is this a value? How do we make sure we're doing it in a healthy way?
2: Right. I think that's such a good question. It's not exactly the same as what I was saying before, because I do think that if somebody had, let's say, perfect amuna, right, then they wouldn't be anxious or upset and they would be happy. But obviously having perfect amuna is a lifelong effort. So it's maybe a goal. It's something to think about. It's something to strive for. But in the moment... You know, we're obviously working on our MUNA, we're working on our Ritakhon, we're working on seeing events, you know, and recognizing that everything that happens, even though it may, may seem difficult to me, ultimately is for the good. So I think, you know, sort of, if we look at the big picture, yes, that's true. But I also would want to differentiate between events that happen to us and choices that we make. So for example, let's say, you know, um, something happens to somebody that's totally out of their control. They thought they were going to buy a house and it fell through at the last minute. And so they're able to say, you know because they worked on their Munan, because they really try to, you know, incorporate you know the recognition of Gamzula Tova into their lives so they're able to not be so upset about it. Right. However, if I make poor choices and then bad things happen, I can't just say, well, everything that Hashem does is for the best. Like, no, there are there is a concept in the Torah of like, you know, Onash, a reward and punishment. And we have to take responsibility for the fact that if we don't do the things that we're supposed to do, then bad things happen. And we can't just say, oh, well, you know, it's all the will of Hashem. And I think that even like if you look, I don't want to totally go off track into a totally different podcast topic, but sometimes right educationally, <laughs> you see this in education so much where there's been this sort of pendulum shift where it used to be like a little bit more like punishment and a little bit more negative. And now you've seen the shift to like very positive educational philosophy. And I think that there's just as much damage in that. It's just as much unrealistic as a, a negative view, right? Like in, in the same way that it's, it's not MS to say that, you know, we should be happy all the time, or we should be like upbeat all the time. Sometimes you see this in like cure situations where they just want to show all the positivity and all the wonderfulness. And yes, it's wonderful, but we do have a concept of there's punishment. There are consequences. There are negative outcomes to negative choices. So I think the balance is really kind of what we want to be thinking about, and not just going to one extreme because the other extreme has its pitfalls. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: And I, I, you know, this idea of Godzilla's tova and everything happens for the best. I think there's a difference between saying that to someone else in their difficult times versus. Trying to internalize it ourselves, like I think, if, I think it's, I think that could be an example of toxic positivity when it's you're negating someone's experience and not letting, not allowing someone else to feel their feelings, but just giving it as like a pat response to someone's difficulties. And the same thing with ourselves, like we can't just tell it to ourselves all the time. We first have to feel how we're feeling and acknowledge our emotional reality, and then try to boost ourselves up with these phrases that are in our Jewish tradition.
2: Right. I mean, just sort of as a general rule, you can only change yourself, anyways. And, you know, right. people say, you know, look at the bright side. Very often, what they're saying is, I don't really want to empathize with you. Right. I mean, if you think about Shiva, yeah. right? When a person goes to pay Shiva call, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to just go in and sit down and not talk. Right. Because when somebody's in that moment where everything is just so sad and bleak, there's nothing you can really say that's gonna make them happy. It's just, you could show them that you're there for them and you could sit with them. And then you obviously, if they bring up their lost, their loved one, you could go with them and talk about it, but you're supposed to let them lead the way and decide how much they want to engage or not. Actually, I'll tell you a story about one of my first clients ever that I had um, when I was actually, I was still a student and I had a a young girl come in, she wasn't Jewish and she had lost her mother about um, three months before and she was just really sad. So she came for grief counseling And she's like, I'm just so sad because, you know, I lost my mom. And I was like, yeah, that's really sad. And she's like, but I don't feel happy. And I'm like, well, it's sad what happened to you. And she like, just kept trying to like, get me to tell her like what she could do to make me feel better, her feel better. And she said, you know, my friends just, they want me to go out. They're like, I'll take it. Let's take your mind off it. Let's go out. Let's go to wherever. And she was like, I just don't want to go with them. And I'm like, well, why should you? You just lost your mother three months ago. Like. What would it say about the loss of your mother if three months later you're able to go back to life as normal? It's okay to be sad. You're supposed to be sad, right? And obviously she wasn't Jewish, so she didn't have this concept of Shiva, of a year of mourning. But it's just, it was such a relief. It's such a relief sometimes to tell people that you're entitled to your feelings. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be anxious even, You know, it's okay to be whatever the negative emotion that we're running away from. And very often when you, anyways, tell somebody to ignore an emotion, that's all they could think of or anything. (laughs) Tell somebody, don't think about this. It's the first thing they think of, right? So true. Yeah. So I think just, it's just that, like you were saying, the empathy piece, like being able to sense what else is going through and recognizing that, recognizing that is the most that you could do for them or is the best thing that you could do for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, this ties into me with this whole concept of vulnerability and perfectionism. It's like, we think <laughs> it's lacking, but right? Like we think it's lacking to exhibit any, you know, a- emotion that makes us look bad, anxiety, sadness, because mm-hmm. we're always trying to appear to be perfect, but that's not healthy, right? All right. So I want to move on. And this is going to be our last last piece of the discussion for the day is, you know, we defined earlier in the episode, Toxic positivity as forced positivity. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you how do you suggest we differentiate between hope and optimism and toxic positivity and forced positivity?
2: Right. So that's such a good question. Um, Well, optimism and positivity aren't really the same thing. So optimism is a belief that things are going to work out in the future, right? And that's first of all. I mean, just so that everybody. I'm sure everybody knows this, but I think it does bear saying that there are people that are just born with a naturally optimistic temperament, and some people are naturally negative. And you could see this in babies as early as two weeks. You have a baby who just like starts smiling and doesn't stop, and some babies are just very serious. And while there are definitely downsides to an optimistic personality type, there are for sure, no question. Um, optimism is a hope and a belief in the future. And I'll go back to what I said about Amuna, is that you really need Amuna for this, but you know, Martin Seligman was, he wrote, he wrote, I think the book is called Learned Optimism. He's one of the early pioneers of this sort of positive psychology type of movement. Um, but what he really shows from his research is that a person who can envision optimistically their future has less anxiety and less depression. And if you think about it, like if you were in a really difficult situation where it was really, really hard, let's say a person lost a loved one or lost their job or something happened to them, right? But they knew for sure that in a year from now, everything would be fine and they'd be in a much better place. A person's sick, right? But they knew that they were going to get better. So that would do a lot to alleviate the negative feelings and they would feel good about that. So I do think that really ultimately like really ms the only way that you can get to that is really by working on a munambitahon but that optimist that optimism is about the future it's about like ultimately everything is for the good. It isn't necessarily about the fact that nothing bad is going to happen. I think we we sometimes think that like you know if I have a munambitahon and, and if I dive in, then you know, that means nothing bad's going to happen to me. You know, obviously you want to kind of work to say, well, this might seem bad to me. I don't obviously know the big picture, but, you know, working on the idea or, or you know, keeping in mind that idea that in the future, everything is going to be good. That really helps with my state in the present moment, right? Toxic positivity mm-hmm. is ignoring those negative emotions, glossing over them, being afraid of those negative emotions, you know, not... Being empathetic to other people, not being empathetic to ourselves, not giving us time. I mean, it's unfortunate, but like sometimes when somebody's going through a difficult time, the only thing really that's going to help is time is just going through it and getting to the other side. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing. It just, it's a time thing. They have to get through it. But having that optimism, having that, I, that idea in my head that everything ultimately is for the best, that Hashem has a plan that I don't really see, that is is something that gives us a lot of hope and a lot of I don't want to say the word positivity but a lot of overall I don't know peace of mind I guess is a better word yeah I,
1: think, yeah. I mean I think it's insp- I think it's inspiring yeah
2: yeah thanks I think so too
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. I, this is just totally deepens our conversation on toxic positivity and exactly what we hope to accomplish by bringing you on the show today in episode. So thank you so much for this. Yeah, this
2: was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. And here's today's takeaway.
1: Toxic positivity at its root is about how we approach difficult feelings. Instead of trying to avoid difficult feelings, Give yourself permission to feel them. These feelings are real, valid, and important, and they can provide information and help you see things about a situation that you need to work to change. It's important to note that this doesn't necessarily mean that you should act on every emotion that you feel. Sometimes it's important to sit with your feelings and give yourself the time and space to process a situation before you take action. So when you're going through something hard, think about ways to give voice to your emotions in a way that's productive. Write in a journal, Talk to a trusted friend. Research suggests that just putting what you're feeling into
0: words can help lower the intensity of those negative feelings. The next time you are faced with someone's difficult feelings, whether it's a child or a spouse or a friend, don't try to shut them down. Don't feel like you need to have a positive response to everything a person says. Acknowledge that being in the presence of someone's difficult emotions may make you feel uncomfortable, but then focus on listening and showing support. Acknowledge and validate. Let them know that what they're feeling is normal and that you're here to listen. Now it's time for five questions with a Normal From Woman. Today's Normal From Woman is Chaviva Gordon-Bennett, a writer and editor from Denver, Colorado. If you could be any month in the Jewish year, which month would you be and why?
3: If I could be any month, I'd be Tishrei. It might be stereotypical because it's such a festive and popular month, but for me, it's all about new and fresh beginnings. I feel like I'm always reinventing myself and trying to find a new and meaningful path forward, And also I was born on September 30th, which just so happened to be Simchat Torah that year. So I always end up sharing my birthday with the holidays. So that gives me an extra boost of inspiration and strength. What's your favorite mitzvah and why? My favorite mitzvah is Kisui Rosh, or hair covering. Um, I've actually written at length on my blog about the history of covering, including where it originates in the Torah, how history affected how we cover wigs, you know, and how we understand and observe the mitzvah in modern times. I I think there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about the mitzvah, too. You know, when I cover my hair, whether with a tichel, wig, or hat, I'm telling the world who I am and that I'm a proud and unafraid from woman. Also, as someone who doesn't consider herself a fashionista, I do think of my scarves as an accessory as a way to express my personality and my mood and that's just fun right what do you do to recharge A few years ago, after an entire life of avoiding self-care and self-preservation, I bought a monthly massage membership. So, you know, I'm connected 24-6 and that hour once every month does a lot to reset my mind and body and help me recharge. Um, Also, before the pandemic, my husband and I used to go to small local comedy shows once every month and those few hours of laughter were life-altering. I can't say enough about getting a regular dose of really good belly laughter and I'm so ready to get back to that. What do you love about yourself? This is such a hard question for me because I'm a classic INFJ with a great deal of imposter syndrome. I spend a lot of time overthinking and over processing literally everything that happens to me around me and within me but I probably don't spend enough time appreciating my own skills and talents. I will say that I'm a deeply curious person, and I think that it makes me a good researcher and writer, and my curiosity just drives all of my creative pursuits. Um, In fact, I'm obsessed with genealogy, and I've made some huge headway on both sides of the family tree. What do you think the Froom world needs more of? I've always felt that the Froom world needs more Derek Eretz. We're meant to be a light unto the nations, to lead the way by setting an example. We're not meant to set ourselves apart from the community, let alone above the community. And pikuach nefesh, preserving human life over all else, is such a simple mitzvah, and it overrules any personal preferences or philosophies.
0: Now it's time to say goodbye. Rifki, can we start singing? I know. There's it's a song fine. for that. I know. It's totally going through my head right now. <laughs> but we thanks. can't because normal for women singing. We, we do. Riffy. Well, we do have men listen to the podcast. So there's that. The um, Colt Isha <laughs> warning. No. So thank you. <laughs> thanks as always for sharing the love after our episodes release. We love the emails, texts, and DMs letting us know your thoughts about our most recent episode. Feel free to reach out. We love it. Our email is normalfromwoman at gmail.com and we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, kind of.
1: Don't forget to check out our show notes for the links to today's episode. And if you're feeling particularly inspired today, please take a moment to rate and review Normal From Woman. It would mean a lot to us.
0: See you next episode.